Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you ready tonight to jump into part nine of the book of Revelation? So just to want to do maybe a five-minute review of chapter 17 and 18. Just sum all that up as we go into chapter 19 tonight. Last time we were talking about the great harlot. The great harlot and how the great harlot is a superpower made up of multitudes of people with different nationalities and languages. That's who the harlot is. She's a harlot in that she sells sex for profit to the nations so that the world is drunk or overcome or addicted to sexual immorality. Again, we saw that, of course, America is a nation made up of many languages, many many nationalities. Isn't that right? I mean, there's no nation on earth like America. We are the world's superpower And uh, we also are the number one exporter of or producer of pornography. Our entertainment industry just pours out the filth and feeds the nations the filth of fornication. So we said that, and I believe the more I look at it, the more I'm convinced of it, that we're looking here at America in the future. She's headed in that direction, but we're holding things back. The salt of the earth is here holding things back, but America... Uh, is definitely um, this harlot right here, this future America. Instead of a torch of freedom in her hand, like we see with the Statue of Liberty, she has a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So again, instead of being a light of freedom to the world, she's a woman of darkness and filth to the world. She rides on a beast, and this beast we know to be the Antichrist, a leader of a ten-nation configuration, a European Union of sorts. The European Union, the future European Union, will take America for a ride that will ultimately lead to her fall. You know that expression, I was taken for a ride, or they took us for a ride, you ever hear that expression before? You know, it's talking about being tricked, being cheated, being deceived. And uh, there are people among our politicians that it seem like they're just willing to sell everything out that has made our nation great to these foreign nations, you know, to the, to the European Union. So she'll take America for a ride and it'll ultimately lead to her fall. Because the Bible says in chapter 17, verse 16, And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So ultimately they will destroy our nation. She goes by the name Babylon the Great, or mystery, Babylon the Great. The great. It's interesting that that name is written on her forehead, which is the same place, one of the places where the mark of the beast will be placed on people. So she's no longer America the beautiful. 
She has become America, the Babylon. The Babylon. Of course, Babylon is known as the nation that came in and destroyed the Lord's temple in Israel and slaughtered many, many Jews and persecuted the rest. Well, chapter 17, verse 6 of the book of Revelation says, I saw the woman, this harlot, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So America will become the greatest persecutor of God's people. And I believe I could say the greatest because of the place that this woman is given in Scripture and what she actually does. She is drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus and of the saints. America will become the greatest persecutor of God's people. Chapter 18 shows us that a major city in America will be leveled to the ground within an hour. Within an hour, it will be destroyed, marking the downfall of the entire nation, the destruction of this harlot. The main two reasons for her judgment coming this way are, number one, like we just said, the blood of the saints, the blood of the prophets, how, how many of God's people are slaughtered and killed within her, but then also the sexual immorality, especially towards children towards children, because it goes on to say in verse 21, in chapter 18, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So you remember over in Matthew 18, 6, where Jesus said, if anyone calls one, causes one of these little ones, talking about little children, to stumble or to sin, to sin, it'd be better for him that a millstone were hung around, or tied around his neck, and he was cast into the sea. So here a millstone being cast into the sea is identifying one of the leading sins that will bring judgment on America and its pedophilia. And it's interesting that when I preached it just last week, it's amazing I found out just that day there were several things in the news pertaining to government leaders in our country, especially one out in California, who is doing all kinds of things to really make pedophilia not such a bad deal. Trying to lower the the penalties for those that get caught in that grotesque sin. And so it's just interesting. I just preached it, and here, government leaders within the harlot, who she's not a harlot yet. She's still Lady Liberty. We call her Lady Liberty. Amen. She's the Lord's lady. But when she becomes a harlot, all these sins will be at their fullness, and judgment will come. So then we moved into chapter 19. The first few verses is just a summary of these things. And then we move now into verse 6 tonight of chapter 19. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord omnipotent reigns. 
Praise God forever. That's exciting to me. At the end of all these terrible things, there's the church. There's God's people with a shout in their mouth, with praises on their lips. Praise God. So in the end, we're the ones that will be rejoicing. We're the ones that will be shouting. Remember that. In the end, we'll be the ones rejoicing. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. The Lamb has a wife. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow, this is quite a contrast. We just went from this filthy woman, this dirty woman, full of uncleanness, full of perversion, this harlot, this, uh, we could say, woman of the beast, because she was riding on the beast. So this is the Antichrist woman. She's a harlot. But now we come and see the Lord's wife. We come and see the Lord's woman, and she's clean and bright. And she's looking good, praise God. Because why? Because she made herself ready. Notice that. She made herself ready. Verse verse 7 tells us. And so to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Now watch this. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Righteous acts translate in the spirit as clothing. Clothing. Endowments from heaven. How many people know the anointing has been likened to a mantle? A coat. And so when we perform righteous acts, we are clothing ourselves with the clothing of heaven, with the grace of God, with the anointing of God. And so the more righteous acts we have, the more glorious our clothing becomes, or the greater the grace becomes on our life. The greater the anointing is upon our life. How many want to be clothed with a powerful anointing in these last days that's so awesome, it's attractive to Jesus. It's attractive to the lamb. The lamb looks and goes, that's my woman. That's my bride. Hallelujah. Man, we're wearing his fragrance. We're wearing garments that are beautiful in his sight. So that we are attracted to, we're ready. We've made ourselves ready for him. Isn't it an awesome thing to think that we've been created to be his bride. To be his spouse. To be married to the Lord. That we're not just to be little baby Christians. Or to be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Or even become just sons of God being led by the spirit of God. No, we're to go on and be his bride. His bride. Have intimacy with him. And we all should be looking to grow in our intimacy with the Lord. To to walk in this level of spirituality. 
walk in this level of Christianity. So many Christians are just so content with being born again, with being babies. And it's so sad that years and years, decades go by as Christians, and the only thing that's growing is their diaper because the amount of doo-doo that they're carrying in the unchanged thing. They haven't gotten the thing changed in 25 years. They still carry it around saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Rather than saying, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm a holy nation. I'm a spiritual person born of the Spirit, washed in His blood. Going out, doing supernatural good works. Clothing ourselves with all kinds of fine things from heaven. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Verse 9, and he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Somebody say, I'm blessed. Because I'm called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. So we just have to take a little time with this and go back to Matthew chapter 22. And remember what Jesus said, oh yes, I'm ready, I'm, I'm so blessed to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But then you look and you see how, how many Christians respond to the Lord when it comes to this marriage. Matthew 22 verse 1, it says, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parable and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. This is this marriage supper that Jesus is referring to and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf, are, my cattle are killed And all things already come to church tonight. It's 7 o'clock. Sorry. If you're not faithful in the little, don't kid yourself about the greater. We know how we're going to be looked upon there by the way we're doing things here. Verse 5, but they made light of it. And went their way, one to his own farm. I got farm work to do. We just got a new piece of property. I got farm. I got to take care of the farm. Are you kidding me? Another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully. Now that pastor, I just tell you about him. And killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. Furious, furious. But what, Lord? I mean, I was busy. I had to go to my farm. But he's so furious. Why is the Lord furious? I had farm work to do. I had a business to take care of. Because you just treated the Lord with contempt. He gave you a place to go, and you made light of it. He was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is... And then we just hear about a city that got burned up, Babylon. And then it went into the wedding feast. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. 
Therefore, go and didn't say they weren't saved. They just weren't worthy. They didn't make themselves ready. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went into the highway and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good and ugly. No, I added that. I added the ugly. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. There's those garments, which are the righteous acts of the saints, that fine linen. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him out back or take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So we ought to really be excited that we're called and not treat it lightly. That we've been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, blessed, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper. Uh, do you know how blessed you are? I said, do you know how blessed you are? See, if you're not excited about being called, then you probably won't do what it takes to be chosen. And we don't want to be the guy that's weeping and gnashing his teeth out there in outer darkness because he was a Christian, but he didn't live up to the expectations of the Lord simply because he esteemed the things of this world greater than the things of God. Verse 10 of Revelation chapter 19. And I fell at his feet, the one that's speaking to him and showing him these things, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So this is not an angel. This is a Christian. This is someone that has gotten saved through the Lord Jesus. Right? He overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. He's got a testimony of Jesus. He said, I'm your fellow servant. But look at him. He's so glorious on the other side that John, the mighty, mighty apostle John, fell down at his feet wanted to worship him. He was just so overwhelmed by the glory on this fellow brother of ours. Man, we got some things to look forward to. How glorious we are going to be in the kingdom of God. So uh, he says to him, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so, you know, we also see something here that there are believers on the other side who seem to be able to help from the other side. Just like this servant, he's helping. He's helping John. John's still on this side. He's in the spirit, but he's still living over here in the body. And he's getting help from the heavenly realm from brothers and sisters that have gone on to be with the Lord. There's more things we could say about that, but that's all we need to hit for now. Verse 11 I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Notice, he's on a white horse, and he has many crowns. You remember going back in the book of of Revelation, we saw the four horses of the apocalypse. And one of them, the first one that was revealed when the first seal was opened, was a rider on a white horse. He was on a white horse and he had a crown and a bow in his hand. And we talked about that, how that is not the Antichrist. There's nowhere in scripture where white has anything to do with something deceptive, something anti-Christ. No, a white horse is something that Jesus rides. It's a good thing. It represents purity and holiness. And the horse represents a move. In this case, a move of God. A move of the Holy Spirit through his church. That's who the rider is. And he has a single crown. Now, Jesus is on a horse, and he has many crowns. But you see, all the many crowns that Jesus had, which represent authority. Remember, he said, all authority after the resurrection. He said, all authority has been given to me in both heaven and in earth. And he said, go, therefore, in my name. So in the name of Jesus, all those crowns, all that authority can be found. It all can be found in one name. We only need one crown. We only need the name of Jesus, who is the word of God. All we got to do is speak his name or declare his word. And all that authority, all those many crowns are there to back up what we say. In verse 14, And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen... White and clean followed him on white horses. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we heaven's army here on the earth? I mean, the scriptures say many things about we're soldiers. Put on the armor of God, right? Those engaged in warfare should not entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. So we're soldiers. We're in the army of the Lord. Second question, do we follow him? Do we follow the Lord Jesus? Yes. So where's our white horse? Our white horse is in the same place where the red horse can be found, where the black horse can be found, where the pale horse can be found. It's right here on planet earth. It's right here on the earth. Notice he said he saw heaven open. Now remember, he's in the spirit. This is not physical. He, this isn't something everybody sees. How many people remember when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized by him? John was a prophet. He saw into the realm of the spirit and he saw the heaven open. And the Spirit of God descending out of heaven upon Jesus like a dove. Nobody else could see it. Who else could see it? John was the only one that we know could see it. Nobody else saw it. Otherwise, everybody would have ran to him, to Jesus, right? 
But John knew who Jesus was because he saw that in the spirit. He saw the spirit come upon him. So you see, John, the apostle John here, he is seeing into the realm of the spirit. So heaven is open and he's receiving revelation from God of something that is going on in the spirit. Now notice this. I said all that to now move into verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword and with it, that with it, he should strike the nations. What's that sword? It's the word of God, right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians. That with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now you remember over in Jude, the first chapter, there's only one chapter in Jude, but verse 14, the Bible says this, Enoch, how many people know Enoch? Enoch goes all the way back, man. He's before Noah. Goes way back, prophet of God. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, a lot of folks think this is the return of Jesus. They think this is Jesus coming back. This is Jesus physically coming out of heaven with his armies, with the saints, coming out of heaven, coming down to earth. But it is not. Again, this is all taking place in the spirit. Notice Verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Man, this sounds horrible. You got all these birds eating flesh. In other words, this is like the result of some kind of warfare that has left bodies of humans and horses strewn all over the place and the unclean birds the vultures are coming down eating their flesh so this is all happening in the natural this is all physical it's all having to deal with the flesh then verse 19 says and i saw the beast the kings of the earth again who's the beast the antichrist this leader of a 10 nation configuration so the, the kings of the earth, earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Now, are they that stupid? I mean, think about this for a second. If this is Jesus physically coming out of heaven, 
returning to the earth. And the armies are coming out of heaven with him. It doesn't say that. It says the armies of heaven, not the armies coming down out of heaven. It's the armies of heaven. We are God's army, his heavenly army right here in the earth. Follow me. We're God's heavenly army right here on the earth. This isn't talking about a heavenly army coming down out of heaven. And the Antichrist looks up and the kings of the earth look up and they see God coming down with the armies of heaven. Everybody's dressed in white and they all take out their weapons and they go, all right, guys, let's get him. Let's get Jesus. You shoot his horse, I'll shoot at him. Some of you are puzzled. No, that, that is not what's happening here. Would that make any sense? No, that would not make any sense. That they would run out and start firing at the Lord. They start firing their weapons into the, and, they, and they actually gather together. They actually sit down and plan to make war against him. Here he comes. Come on, let's get together. Let's get a plan together. How we can fight him. No, if this was Jesus returning with eyes of fire, these people would be fried toast. I've never had fried toast, but that's what they would be. Their toast would be fried. That's what it would be. Forget about, I mean, toasting's one thing. Frying's another level. No, the kings of the earth are not going to fight him naturally speaking. It's spiritual. This is spiritual. It's the fight of faith. It's through the word that he strikes the nation. Remember, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. So when you start speaking the word of God, when you start declaring the name of Jesus, here he comes. That's what he said. Here he comes. And it's the word being spoken that's releasing the power of God in the realm of the spirit to do the spiritual battle. But there's still a natural battle taking place. There's still the Antichrist. He thinks he's fighting you, but he's actually fighting him. They think they're gathering together against Israel. They think they're gathering together against God's people, but they're actually gathering together against him who's on a white horse, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, who's out of his mouth goes a two-edged sword, and it's going out because you are declaring the word. God's people. Whoever are here at that time, God's going to have a remnant. He's always had a remnant. He's even going to have a remnant that's going to make it through this great tribulation period. You say, how's that going to happen? I don't know. I mean, everybody's getting the mark. They got GPS. They can follow you and track you. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know that Moses stood right there in the face of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh couldn't touch him. So... I don't know how it all happens, but with God, all things are possible. And so there are some folks that are going to stand boldly in these last days declaring his word, knowing that the armies of heaven in the realm of the spirit are backing them up here in the natural. His natural army has a spiritual army. That's backing us up, a heavenly army, an unseen army, maybe is what I should say. There's an unseen army. There's an unseen army that's backing up 
the natural army of God's people in the earth. Do you see that? See, people get so confused about this. So many think this is the second coming of Jesus and it's in the physical, but then a lot of things just would not make sense. If that was true, a lot of things would not make sense. And you just have to kind of, it's like, you know, you got a puzzle and you got to take a puzzle piece and just kind of, Kind of, kind of force it in there. Take out a scissor and cut some things off to make the puzzle fit in there. You get a puzzle piece fit in there. It don't fit. It don't fit. Verse 20. Then the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet. That's the Antichrist. The beast and his priest. Beast and his priest. I'm not going to talk about the priest. What some people say who the priest is, but. Some people say the Pope, and I'm not going to say anything about that. Who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. How many people know we're the body of Christ? We are God's mouthpiece in the earth. We're his mouthpiece. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So, so their spirits were thrown into the lake of fire, but their flesh was consumed by the birds. They were just left out there to be hacked away at by the wild critters of the air. Chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He lay hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So notice, the great tribulation period ends with the Antichrist and his priest. They're captured. Their flesh is destroyed, eaten by the birds of the air, and they themselves and their armies are eaten by the birds of the air. And they, their spirits, are cast into the lake of fire, and then Satan, the dragon behind the beast, Satan, he's taken. And notice how he's taken. An angel comes down out of heaven having the key to the bottomless pit. Notice this isn't Jesus coming down out of heaven. This isn't the return of Jesus. I don't need an angel to come with a great chain to bind Satan for a thousand years if Jesus himself has come down out of heaven. He hasn't returned yet. No, this is an angel that has come down. Bless the Lord, you his angels who excel in strength, the Bible says, heeding the voice of his word. Again, the word being spoken with great authority, with great power, with great faith has released this angel to bind the devil and lock him up for a thousand years. That's some serious authority right there. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He goes, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind, whatever you bind, bless God, somebody 
in the last days had authority to release an angel in the spirit realm to bind Satan himself. Not just some little imp, but Satan himself and lock him up with a great chain, which is the result of great faith, for a thousand years. Hallelujah. Well, bless God, you shut him up for a thousand years. How many people know he's a, he's a yapper? And you shut him up, boy, oh boy. Man, you're talking about peace on earth. Woo, hallelujah. And that's exactly what happens. There is, as a result of this, a thousand years of peace on the earth. But let's look here in verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, pretty much everybody I know that preaches on these things, teaches on these things. They say, well, you see, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem and it's going to be a thousand years of peace and we're going to rule and reign with him as though this is something that's going to happen in the natural. This is not in the natural. This is not in the physical realm. We have to understand that. Notice this. In verse 1, he says, and I saw the souls. Everybody say the souls. Can you see souls? Can anybody see a soul tonight? If you, if you can see souls, I would like you to come up after service to the front where we can talk together. I see souls. No, you see bodies. That's what you see. You don't see spirits. You don't see souls. You see bodies. That's what you see. Now, inside those bodies, we know is a spirit and a soul. But John said, I saw souls. I saw the souls of those whose bodies had their heads cut off. Had their heads cut off. Okay? These are not people that have been resurrected physically from the dead upon Jesus' return and are ruling with him from Jerusalem. That is not what's happening. Nobody's going to see the angel come down and bind Satan. Nobody's going to see that except from the spirit. They're going to know something has changed in the atmosphere of the earth. And uh, if we're here at that time, you know, we got the scriptures, then we're going to be able to say, this is it, man. Everything's changed. The devil's been bound. Satan's been bound. Well, if you take down Satan, he's the head of all principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Notice rulers. See, rulers, these rulers, these spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, these, these principalities, powers, they have thrones in the heavenly places. The Bible talks about, uh, I think it's in Revelation chapter 3. It tells us where Satan's throne is. Satan has a throne. See? And so there's demons that rule over the nations. There's demons that occupy thrones over the nations, that influence the nations. That's why voting is very important. Because whoever you put in power, what they yield to will rule over the nation, will rule over your state, will rule over the, will rule over the land. Did you get that? 
So, you know, who you vote in the natural will yield to a certain spirit. And depending on who that spirit is, that's the spirit that's going to have the primary voice in the spirit realm over the land. Well, you don't want that to be the devil. We want Christian influence in the heavenly realm. Right? We want angelic assistance. We don't want demons, principalities, and powers dominating our city, dominating our land. That's why they're handcuffed tonight. They can hardly do anything. They're in confusion because, because of prayer, because of faith, because of having things in the spirit realm, holding demonic things back. When Satan gets thrown into the... When Satan gets locked up, excuse me, he gets locked up for a thousand years, all his principalities, powers, rules, dark spirits, holds wickedness, they're all going with him. They're all getting locked up. They all go down. They all fall with you. Take out the leader. They all go down with them. See? So they're all going to be shoved into the pit for a thousand years. And that's going to leave these thrones unoccupied. And you know what the Lord's going to do? Those that would not give in and deny the Lord. And they went all the way to their death. Even to the point of having their heads decapitated. He's going to take them over on the other side in the realm of the spirit. And he's going to say, you see these thrones? Go ahead and take one. And you're going to have saints that were beheaded during the tribulation ruling in these heavenly places. From these heavenly thrones that are currently occupied by demons. And so, man, it's going to change everything on earth. You'll still have unsaved people. But uh, it's going to be primarily Christian because it's going to be easy to get saved. Godly influence will be dominant in the world at that time. Of course, there'll be nations that are completely just smoldering because of nuclear war. Terrible things have happened. A large portion of the world's population has been completely wiped out. But there'll be, there'll be survivors and... Uh, <clears throat> These, the souls of those who are beheaded will reign from that place for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Notice that statement. The rest of the dead. The rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. We're talking about the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? It is the resurrection of the human spirit. When a person is born again, made alive spiritually. He's been resurrected from spiritual death. That's the first resurrection. What would be the second resurrection? That's when you get your body back. That's when the body physically is resurrected. There will be a physical resurrection of our body. The Bible's clear about it. 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15 in that area, talks a lot about this. That the body being sown like a seed in the ground will be raised incorruptible. Raised incorruptible. And they lived and reigned. With Christ for a thousand, but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. This is talking about the first. This isn't a physical resurrection. These are spirits. This is spirit, these are spirit beings. This isn't physical. Blessed and holy, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. 
over such the second death, second death, has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So these are souls, not physical bodies, that are reigning that he saw. The first resurrection is is the resurrection of the spirit. They're spiritually alive beings. The second resurrection is physical resurrection, which is coming when Jesus returns, when he actually returns. When Jesus returns and he takes death and destroys it in the lake of fire. See, when he takes death and casts death into the lake of fire, then there's no death. So all that died, their physical bodies, death doesn't have any power over them anymore, and so they'll physically rise from the dead. So the second death is those who were cast into the lake of fire. And you're going to see that here in just a moment. Verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Somebody say, why in the world would you release him? Well, that's a good question to ask the people that are on the earth at that time. Remember the Bible says back in verse 3, 23, it says he must be released. He must be released. In other words, it's a legal thing. Legally, he has to be released. Why? Because whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven or in the heavenlies. Whatever you loose on earth must be loosed. So he's loosed because of what the people are doing on the earth. They loose him, and so he must be released. Not something God just said, you know, I'm going to release him today. No, we release him. People release him. won't be us because it's a thousand years down the road. So we'll be on the other side at that point. It's an exciting thought that we will be on the other side. Verse 8, after he's released from the prison, we'll go out to deceive the nations, which in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth, the breath of the earth, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit of life, the breath, the spirit. This is Satan moving in the realm of the spirit and all his demons. Moving, moving this inspiring wicked men. Can you imagine that? Wicked men on the earth. After all that's happened in the world, you still got wicked people on the earth. But here they are, a thousand years down the road since the tribulation. Wickedness has increased on the earth. People still have issues. Even without the devil, can you imagine? People still have issues. Remember the Bible says in the book of James, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by what? His own desires. Not Satan's desires. His own. Then Satan comes and entices. But people are drawn away by their own desires first. So if we just stop being drawn away from the Lord by our own desires, then we don't give the devil much to tempt us with. There's not much he can entice us with. That's why we could pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Don't let us go into temptation. In other words, you don't have to be tempted. Now, if you do, don't get in condemnation. You still have not sinned. But we can get to the place where we're not even tempted. What we got to do is not be drawn away by our own desires. And then Satan can't tempt us. Because we got to get drawn away by our own desires first before he can entice us. Isn't that great? So it's not all up to the devil. It's up to you. You can't just sit there and say, the devil made me do it. No, you can't do it. Can't do it. See, we got to take responsibility for ourselves. No, thank God. Even when the devil's not here, you still got people messing around. Still, still, still messing around. thousand years goes by. And who knows what kind of curriculum they've had in the schools for the last 500 years, you know. And they've just polluted, polluted a large portion of society again to hate God, hate God's people. So here they come. Satan's now, I can be released. Thank you. He comes out. 
Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. Some people never learn. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, I like this so much. Make sure everyone on Facebook is hearing it. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's where you're going. Isn't that depressing? Prince of the power of the air. Isn't that terrible? You're going in the lake of fire. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I took their head off. Yeah, but you're going to the lake of fire and they're ruling on your throne. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, that could be one of us. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Who knows? Could be one of us. He might have, John might have looked right at me. I marveled at the glory, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> the glory of the Lord. Come on, you never know. You never know. You got to look past the flesh. Get excited about the real, get excited about the real rewards. So at the end, when Jesus returns... The Bible tells us, over in the book of Peter and other places, that all the elements will melt with fervent heat. The whole earth will melt with fervent heat. So here this fire comes out of heaven in the spirit, and it just devours the demonic. This is when the trumpet blows, and the dead in Christ are raised incorruptible. Right before the whole planet melts, man. Those Christians that are on the earth, the saints, they'll be raptured. They'll be taken up into the, into the glories of heaven. And then everything on the earth is just going to melt with fervent heat. Everything is going to I mean, this place is going to burn. It's going to burn. It's going to be so hot that the water is going to boil. The oceans are going to boil. And when you've got boiling ocean water, you've got steam. And when you've got steam going up into the atmosphere, you're... You start creating a canopy of water vapor around the earth, which is what was in the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. It describes this water vapor, this canopy around the earth. It's called the waters above the firmament and the waters beneath the firmament. So there's waters beneath, but there's water above the firmament. That's the sky. That's this water vapor, this ozone layer that protects the earth from the ultraviolet rays of the sun. Not just the, the gassy ozone layer that we have now. This was a water vapor. There was no rain that came down on the earth. It was just this mist that came up out of the ground because there were subterranean waters under the earth. And so the whole place was moist and that's why people could live forever. If there was no sin, they could have lived forever in that environment. And even when sin did enter in, before the flood of Noah, before that water vapor canopy was destroyed... By the fountains of deep that sprung up out of the earth. I don't want to get too deep for you too fast. But that whole thing was torn apart. Then life was no longer lived as long. People used to live a thousand years. But then after the flood, that stopped. It was, it was in the low hundreds. And diminished and diminished as time went on. As the atmosphere on the earth uh, corrupted more and more and more over time. As the result of sin. But 
Everything's going to melt. The steam's going to go up. The canopy's going to cover the earth. You got to stand when all that rain, all that water came down on the earth. The earth tilted on its axis. That's caused the seasons. That's why right after the flood, it was announced that now there'll be spring and summer and winter and fall. That happened after the flood. That's why it's announced there in Genesis right after the flood because the earth was on that. It's going to go back because all that weight's going to come off as the water turns to steam. And everything's going to be restored and it's going to go back to the way God originally designed it to be. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 11, I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Notice they ran from him when he actually came. They didn't run after him and gather together to fight him. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. By the things which are written in the books. God's got a book for every human's life with all the details of their life. And so when you're judged according to those, to, according to your works, according to your deeds as being found worthy to actually enter the kingdom of God... You're going to be found wanting. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they would judge each one according to his works. Thank God. We're going to be judged according to our faith. Now faith has works. But our works are the result of our faith in the Lord Jesus. And that's what gets you in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. Make sure you stay in there. Now watch what he says here. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. See, that's the second death. It tells you right there. Being cast into the lake of fire. So you see, their final judgment has been set. Chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, watch this. There was no more sea. Why? Because it boiled. It turned to steam. It became a water canopy, water vapor canopy around the earth. Just like it was in the beginning. No more sea. And there's no reason why not to take this literal. This is literal. There's no more sea. Look, he sees the new earth. And there's no sea. Now, there's rivers. Bible talks about rivers, the river of life and things. So there's rivers, there's streams, probably some good lakes. Leave me beside some still waters. Praise God, that's eternal. So we know there's going to be some, there's going to be water there, but there's no oceans. Now, figuratively, there's also, uh, you know, there's some figuratively, some, some, some things that are figurative here. Uh, you know, when it's talking about the ocean, it can mean no more divisions among humanity. Because oceans uh, serve as barriers between nations. And so humanity will no longer be separated from each other. There'll be no division among the nations. Isn't that beautiful? Figuratively, we could see that. The sea can also refer to anything that is perilous, unpredictable, or chaotic. And so that'll all be gone. There'll be no more of that. And then earlier in Revelation, the sea was the source of the satanically empowered beast. And so, in other words, there'll be no longer this rebellion. There'll be no longer any evil in the earth. All those things 
will be removed. So figuratively, you could say all that because that is true. And then, but literally, there'll be no more sea. Next time we come together, we will jump into, we'll continue in this chapter and we'll begin looking at the new Jerusalem. And next week should conclude this series on the book of Revelation. Can you say amen? Praise God. Come on, stand on your feet with me. Let's thank the Lord. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.